All right. Are you ready for God's word today? Grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 13. I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 1, but we're going to go to Luke chapter 13 for really the majority of our time. We're going to look at one parable today. Uh, we've been in a series of messages called I Heart My Church or I Love My Church. And I do love my church and I hope you love your church. And really not to belabor to go back into it, but what we said is we love our church because it's not perfect. That's kind of what we've been talking about is the fact that, man, if something has to be perfect for you to love it, you can love nothing but God, right? So, so what we love about the church is, and here's what we, we readily admit, the pastor at our church is not perfect. The staff at our church is not perfect. Somebody told me, I asked a, an older statesman in the faith one time, I said, what is the goal of pastoral ministry? That's what he told me. Son, as the senior pastor just uh, disappoint them at a rate they can stand. <laughs> I was like, I can do that, I think. You know, sometimes I've gotten ahead of that. And, you know, it's, it's been a blessing to people. But other times, I've really tried to disappoint you at a rate you can stand. <laughs> That's so crazy. Anyways, um, but we got an imperfect staff. And, and I, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you're imperfect. So we have an imperfect church. But this is the perfection of God's grace is that the only people he's ever used to do anything were imperfect people. And every Bible story you want to read, the star of it is an imperfect person, right? Doubting Thomas, you know, cowardly Peter, um, you know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, David... Well, he had a lot of issues. King David had a lot of issues. Abraham, he was a liar. You know what I mean? There's, I mean, you know, and then he slept with Hagar. There was that whole thing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just saying all the people you love, Noah got drunk. You understand? I mean, all the people you love in the Bible, none of them were perfect. And this gives me hope that God can take a bunch of imperfect people and bring us together by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, make us one spirit and one body together, and then use us to do incredible things. And that's why I love the church. And that's why I love the church. So we've been talking about that. And we've been talking about what is God's plan for each of us and, and ultimately, what is God's plan for the world? And, and we said this, we said, well, God's plan for the world is he wanted earth to, to be like heaven. So God ruled over the heavens, uh, right, which is a spiritual realm. And then he created earth and he wanted his spiritual realm to rule and reign over a physical planet. Um, and so we, we pray it this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's really the will of God and the plan of God. And we know that because when this whole thing kind of winds up in the end, if you go look at the book of Revelation, the end of the book of Revelation, then that's what happens is that everything is made new and, and there's a new heavens and a new earth and, and these things look very congruent and similar. So we know that's the plan of God, right? And that's the heart of God, and that's what God's trying to accomplish. So then the question is, well, how does God accomplish that? Well, in order to make earth look like heaven, God said, I need to make man. And so this tells me what God's trying to do, right? Because we said, if I want to know my purpose, I really need to know God's purpose, right? I said this last week. Sometimes we forget we're called according to his purpose, and we think the Christian life is about calling God according to our purpose, but, you know, 
God is not a genie in a bottle, right? And so God has called us. So if I want to know my purpose, I have to know his purpose. And his purpose is he wants earth to look like heaven. And in order to accomplish that goal, he said, and, and we'll look at this verse first, Genesis 1, 26. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the creation. So he said, let us make man. So we've been saying, okay, well, this was God's plan right? So God's mission, right? So we want to understand what is, what is the, what, what plan are we called to? What mission should we have? Well, God said, let us make man. And so we put some words with this. So if I want to know what God's plan for me is, then it comes back to one of these words. Let us make man. We said, believe in God said, we want man to believe in us. And that's where we started this series a couple weeks ago. Let us make man to believe in us. According to our image, we talked about this last week, to belong to us, right? Belonging. Uh, uh, after our likeness, to become like us and let him have dominion to build like us. So we said, okay, this is, we've heard of the Great Commission. By the way, I could show you these four words in the Great Commission if I took time to do it. But we said, this is God's first commission for man. He created man because he, he wanted to give man the, not only the authority, but the responsibility of making earth look like heaven. And he said, let us make man. And, and then this tells us, well, why are we here? Well, to believe, belong, become, and build. So we said, well, what is the mission of Pathway Church? Well, what is the mission of Pathway Church? Well, it's just God's mission. We want to help every person believe in Jesus, belong to a family, become a disciple, and build God's kingdom. That's what, that's, and if you want to know what God's plan for you is, God wants you to believe and keep believing. We talked about, come on, journey. Don't stop believing, right? Belong and keep belonging. Become and keep becoming. Come on, everybody say, I'm not there yet. And then build and keep building. And this is what God wants for all of us. So today we're going to talk about that third one, becoming, becoming. Um, let me tell you, uh, let me tell you the secret to the life you actually want. Okay. You better lean in on this because this is the thing everybody wants to know. Everybody wants to know, what is the secret to the life I actually want, right? And here's the best thing. The secret to the life you actually want is something everyone in this room can achieve. Because, see, some of you think, well, the secret to the life I actually want is because we have a whole generation now that they think the secret to life is becoming uh, famous, Right? Because TikTok and social media, right? My money doesn't jiggle, jiggle. It folds. I like to see you wiggle, wiggle. That's probably better for the 11 o'clock. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, that's not a worship song, Pastor. No, in fact, it's a horrible song from a guy that can't even rap, but he's famous now because it's a great, it's a great analogy, right? Because it's horrible. And he's not even cool. And he made up this thing, and it went viral on TikTok, right? And I've heard it a million times because I have a teenage daughter. And she'll be flipping through, and I hear, and I'm like, oh, Lord. And it's burned in my brain. And honestly, I think it's kind of funny, so I just kind of like it. It's kind of like if I tried to be on cool on TikTok, that'd be about how it would be, only it wouldn't go viral. Anyways, the point is, <clears throat> but the point is, or we think the secret, oh, the life I want is the next 
fill in the blank. The life I want is this house, property, vacation, car. The life I want is this, or we'll say this amount of money. Like if I could retire with this amount of money, or if I could get to this amount of money, or the first fastest way I can get to this amount of money. And a lot of times we think, or, or the, the, the life that I finally want is tied to an individual, like a relationship or something. The life that I want is, and, and here's what we say, the life that I really want to live, like my best life, the way there, and you pick a path. And here's what I'm saying, most of the time, in fact, most, almost all the time, when we pick the path, we're completely off base. I can tell you the secret of the life that you want. It's not in having anything. It's not in getting anything. It's not in buying. It's not even in achieving. You know the secret to the life you actually want is in becoming who God created you to be. That's the secret. If you want to know where the peace is, where the joy is, where the happiness is, where the fulfillment is. And you say, how do you know this? Well, because I was young and I'm older now. In my life, I've had a lot of cool stuff, y'all. I don't mind telling you. I had a lot of cool stuff. Um, I've been blessed to go to some cool places, right? I can tell you, I, without unequivocally working with people, being a pastor for years and years and years, senior pastor for 13 years, I'm telling you what I'm telling you is the truth. You can think the life I want is just more vacation time or more exotic trips or a nicer something. It's not. Because you're still going to be there and it's still going to be you that has that. And an unhappy person in a Yugo is going to be an unhappy person in a Maserati. Are you with me? Because the Maserati does not fix the inside of you. And you know what I'm telling you is the truth. And then here's the question. So what are we pursuing then? Because we'll sit in church and say, that's right, pastor. That Porsche is not going to fix my problem. And then we'll leave here and be thinking, now how can I get a Porsche? Right? That's pastor. No, that's right, pastor. No beach is going to give me peace. And we leave here and we charge a trip to Cabo on a credit card. And I'm all for Cabo, by the way. I'm not saying you shouldn't go there. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a Maserati. If you can afford one, praise God, come pick your boy up. This is not one of those sermons where you, you got to be poor. I'm not saying happiness is poor. I've been poor too. I wasn't happy poor. Just like being rich can't make you happy, being poor can't make you happy. You understand what I'm saying? So you can work either side of the equation if you want to. I'm telling you, though, the secret of the life you want is not about what you have. It's about who you become. That's the secret. That's what I want to talk about today. God, God said, let us make man believing us according to our uh, image, after our image belonging to us, according to our likeness, becoming. We are human beings not human doings and not human havings. We are human beings. And the secret is becoming who you're created to become. Does that make sense? So that's what I want to talk about. So Luke chapter 13, everybody, I'm going to use one parable. It's just a handful of verses, like four verses here. And we're going to talk about it together. It says, then Jesus told it this parable. He said, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. He's a farmer. And he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. 
So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming back looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it, fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. I, I want to talk to you just for a few moments on, on this topic, becoming your best. I want to talk about becoming your best. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for just your activity, that you're active in this place. Um, Lord, we want to hear what the Spirit says, which tells us, God, that you're speaking. So then success is about us just picking up what you're putting down, us hearing what you're saying. So, God, I just we give you these next few moments together and just ask that you would speak your truth to us. Um, and, and let it impact us and change us. God, help us to take it in. Help us to take it in. God, so we'd be transformed by the power of your word today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Everybody said, amen. So the secret to really the life you want is not in the having or the doing, but the becoming. So then the, the interesting question is, so we could ask this question, right? So how much time do you work on becoming and how much time do you work on having and doing? Because, right, like if the solution, if the secret, the solution is on the becoming, then wouldn't it make sense? Like if I want to live my best life and the way to live my best life is more about who I'm becoming, then ultimately that should be a focus of, or a priority, not just having and not just doing. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have anything, obviously. I'm not saying you shouldn't do anything. Like have fun, right? Have cool stuff if you can. I think that's awesome. But I'm just talking about the secret because the secret to peace, the secret to joy, the secret to fulfillment, the secret to effectiveness, fulfillment, all those things is about becoming who God created me to be, Right? And, and there's a process, there's a process there. Um, <clears throat> when we read this text, uh, before I even get to the points, I think one of the things that we have to look at here is there's a man who owns a vineyard or a garden or whatever, and, uh, and there's some fruit trees, and there's a tree not bearing fruit, and the man says, cut it down. Um, I think here's the first thing before I even get to the points that I have to say is that I think we have to understand is God expects fruit. That, that's what I see in this parable. Like God expects my life to produce something. Okay? Now you're sitting here saying, well, you just said the secret was becoming. Now you're talking about doing. No. Because the secret of doing is being. Right? Like the secret of a fruit tree producing fruit is just being a fruit tree. Right? And, and I'm not saying anything, but just to make the point, fruit trees don't go to class to learn. They don't get on TikTok to figure things out or YouTube. They're, you've never been by a garden and a fig tree pulling up YouTube says, I wonder how I'm supposed to produce figs. No, fruit trees become fruit trees, and because a fruit tree or a fig tree or apple tree or a pear tree, when they grow as a fruit tree, in other words, everything they needed to be them was in the seed. Well, all they had to do was grow into their identity. 
And when they grow into what, who they're created to be, and I know we're talking about fruit trees and it's more like a thing than a, than a who, but follow the analogy. When the, as they grow into, we'll say who because we're making comparison instead of what, but as they grow or they become what they were created to be, they do what they were created to do. This to me is like the secret of Christian life. Like the secret of Christian life is not in the doing, it's always in the becoming. It's in the being. If we become who God creates to be, if we grow into who God creates to be, we will do what God creates to do. Does that make sense? And, and so this is the secret. So the secret to the life I want is becoming, right? Well, well, becoming is the secret to producing what I want my life to produce. But before I can get in, I'm going to talk about the, the growing part, the becoming part. But I want you to understand, according to God, like we, you need to understand the goal, right? Does that make sense? It's really hard to hit something you can't if you don't know what you're aiming at. My grandfather said, you know, whoever doesn't aim at anything hits it all the time. I don't know how helpful that is. He had a lot of great sayings, but... Some I still don't understand, but they sound good, and I'll say them even though I don't understand them, like some people quote in Scripture, you know what I'm saying? And so it sounded good. I just quoted it, put it on Instagram, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to not say that. Anyways, <clears throat> so what is the goal? Colossians 1.28 says, um, Him we proclaim, in other words, Paul saying, Jesus, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, look at this, mature in Christ. And we're talking about maturity in Christ. We are not talking about something you do. You can be on a serve team and be immature. You can be a pastor and be immature. I've met some. There's been times I was the immature one and I was the pastor and I had to work that out. Right? So, so when he's saying the goal, this is what he said. This is the goal that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then verse 29 he starts. He said, for this I'm toiling and struggling with all this energy that's working within me because this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help you reach a place of maturity. When we're talking about maturity, we're not talking about something you do. We're talking about who you are. The Bible actually has some phases of maturity. We can read them. A lot of them are in the writings of Paul, some in the writings of John. But, but the Bible will talk about being a babe in Christ, right? He's like, you should have, this Paul, you should be ready for solid food, but you're just babies and you still need milk. That's what he told the Corinthians. Then we talk about, like we go babes, and then, he's, and then John would talk about children in his epistles. He would call believers children, like my children, right? Um, and then he would talk about young men or youth, and then Paul would talk about this, and James talks about this, but he talks about a mature man or a complete man or a mature man, which applies just to, as much to women as men, right? And so there's some phases that we see in the Bible. Like, I'm just wondering today, if, if you were trying to pick where you're at today spiritually, are you a babe? Are you a child? Are you a youth? Are you a mature adult? And you pick it, and then we're going to go to your Instagram. I love nervous laughter in church. It means we're getting somewhere, y'all. 
But when you look at like the, the, just the writings of Paul, because he's like, this is the goal of maturity in Christ. Romans 8, he says, until we're all conformed to the image of God or the image of Christ, what's the goal? To be mature in Christ. What does maturity look like? To be conformed to the image of Jesus, right? Galatians 4, he said, I'm praying until Christ be formed in you. Ephesians 4, he says, until we all come to the measure of the standard that is Christ. Paul is setting a high goal, y'all, right? But he is saying, nonetheless, this is the goal. I think that's why Paul said, not that I have obtained it, this is Philippians, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I'm pressing on toward the mark of the high calling of God that is in Christ Jesus. I think Paul was measuring himself with the same ruler, and he's saying, I'm supposed to be conformed to Christ. I'm supposed to have Christ formed in me. I'm supposed to mature. And even Paul was saying, you know, I'm not there yet, but I'm still working on it. See, I'm concerned that I think, I think today we've made the goal of Christianity the blessings of Christ instead of becoming like Christ. Can I say it again? My concern is what Paul is saying the goal is to be mature like Christ. I'm afraid today that much of Christendom, if you will, is more focused like the goal is having all the blessings of Christ instead of the goal is becoming like Christ. And so before we can even go farther, we got, you got to say, hey, what's the goal? Like in your own life, think about this, in your own life, in your relationship with God, what is the end of your Christian faith? Because I think you could answer a lot of questions or there'd be a lot of answers to that question and, and they'd all be good answers, not that they're wrong. Some people say, well, I don't wanna go to hell. I think that's a worthy pursuit not to go to hell. I don't care to go there either. I've lived in Texas my whole life pretty much, y'all, and every August, I thank God I'm not going to hell. I moved my son to Arizona in August and we both thanked God we weren't going to hell. He's like, Dad, it's, I asked him the other day, how high? He said, it's still hot. It's not like hell, but it's right next door. <laughs> Some would say, well, I, the goal is to be forgiven. Absolutely, Christ forgives us. Praise God for that, Amen. right? But my question is, what is the end of your faith? What is faith supposed to be doing in your life? What is the relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God as a security blanket? as a counselor, as a sugar daddy who just makes everything okay when things aren't right? Like, what does your relationship with God look like? And the reason I bring this up, because myself included, along what I watch a lot of times with believers is, we love God till the fit hits the shin, and then we're upset with God because things didn't go our way, because ultimately God's supposed to make everything go our way. And what I'm saying is, that's immaturity. Because there's nowhere in the Bible does God say, follow me and I'll just make everything okay. Yes, I'll work all things together for good, but good to God may be different than good for you. God might think good is character formation through walking through a little fire. He might think that's good for you and you think good for you is some beach somewhere. Right? And by the way, if you're asking me what I think good, I'm going to vote beach every time. 
I'm not going to vote character development through some trial and fire and no. I don't think that's good, but it's good for you. Right? Even Jesus said, hey, in this world, you're going to have struggle. No one puts that in the Bible promise list. But it's in the Bible. Jesus said it. Because sometimes struggling's good, y'all. And this is good. I like having these talks. And so the goal is, the goal is maturity. Here's why we need to mature. And then I'll get to the points. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a great sermon. And we're going to get to the points. Y'all, I actually have points. And we're going to be here all day. <laughs> it's just, here's the thing. I take what I do so seriously, it's hard for me to prepare less. I'm serious. Like every time I look at how long I preach, I'm like, God, I feel like a failure every weekend, just in case you're wondering because of how long I preach. But every time I get ready to prepare, I'm like, but y'all need to know this. And so do I. And I'm like, I don't know how to, I even had a guy tell me, he's like, well, you could just prepare less. And I'm like, that's, I don't, but I love them too much. Like I take too seriously what I do to prepare less. I'm trying to prepare you for whatever's coming tomorrow. So according to the Bible, uh, here's what maturity produces in our life. Ephesians 4 says we'd no longer be tossed around, so it produces stability. It produces stability. Um, it is actually, that's what maturity produces, stability. Maturity uh, is all about, you know what maturity in adults looks like? The ability to regulate your emotional state. Do you know that's the difference between you and a toddler? is someone takes their Lego and they lose their stuff, right? They'll break something, throw something, be screaming, right? You got to carry them out. Like I remember um, my little girl, she's not in this service, so I can tell you all this, but y'all don't tell her, all right? Don't make a comment when she walks in in a little bit because that's like no pastor's kid wants to hear that. You just look at her and smile. and You don't let her know we talked about her, all right? Or I'll find you. But she is the sweetest thing in the world now. I love my little girl. She's almost 18, which is just stupid to me. Like, apparently, I don't know how I have a child that old when I'm this young. Um, but when she was little bitty, uh, we would go to restaurants. She hated high chairs. And she would, like, vehemently. Like, it looked like an exorcism. And so we'd go to a restaurant, literally, and, and we had Luke, and Luke was, Luke was a very easy child. Um, and so we had Luke, and Luke was easy. But I'd walk in the restaurant, and I would, they would sit us down. I would order for the family and ask for the check because I knew when that little Asian bomb went off, it was over. <laughs> and we were on the clock as soon as we walked in because she didn't have the ability to regulate her emotion. Whatever upset her about the high chair, about the whole restaurant experience, I don't know what it was, but once she was upset, she was upset. And being a big old white man, you can't take a little Asian baby girl into a restaurant and spank them because you're going to get CPS called on you and be arrested. <laughs> right? So there wasn't anything to do but pack up say we headed to the house. Y'all would just take our food with us, you know. I mean, Mariah was five before Luke got to finish his chicken nuggets. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> like, bless it, y'all. 
But here was the difference between the ages is, hey, listen to me, by the time you're an adult, you're supposed to be able to regulate your emotion. In other words, you're supposed to be able to have a bad day and not give up on your faith and not be angry at God and not quit the church just because things didn't go our way. We're not supposed to get on social media and throw a temper tantrum. We should be able to regulate our emotion and say, hey, sometimes we walk through things and let's find God in the fire instead of assuming God threw us in the fire and walked away. Right? Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm glad they didn't give up on God because he was walking around in the fire with them. But he didn't deliver them from the fire. He delivered them through the fire. And sometimes you go through a little fire, but it doesn't mean God's not with you. It just means God's trying to show you himself in a way you can't see unless the heat's turned up. So it produces stability. That's Ephesians 4. Uh, Ephesians 4 also says, until we come into unity. I could make this the sermon. Why? This is now a two-part series. Because um, I could talk about this, but it's immature to have spiritual fights with everybody. It's also immature to leave a church just because you don't agree with somebody at your church. Because I can tell you this, if you live in a house of more than one person, y'all don't agree about everything either. And I have some great friends that they'll talk about, we'll talk about scripture and Bible verse, they'll say something. I'm like, I don't agree with that at all. But I don't say anything because they don't need my approval or my disapproval. I just listen. I'd like to know where they're coming from. Like, I don't have to agree, but here's what we agree about. Jesus is Lord, right? So it's actually immaturity is where you get disunity because we start fighting for our own rights or we just have to be right. And you can be in right or you can be in unity. But most of the time, your indignation about being right comes more from a place of immaturity than maturity. I could, this is a good one. Hmm. Purpose. Colossians 1 said we walk according to our purpose. So here's why I'm mature. It makes a st- stability, unity, right? Like if you want unity in your home, you better, I can't get off that one for some reason, but you, you know, Listen, in your relationships, you can be right or you can be in unity. you got to decide where your value is. Is your value winning or is your value unity? And then, so, and then purpose. Like if I want to walk into my purpose, I've got to mature into my purpose. Colossians 1, walk worthy of your calling. Or, or about Colossians 1 also says, grow to understand the inheritance you have received. In other words, I can't even receive the fullness of the promise of God without maturity. Most of the time, we're praying for God to gift us things we could actually grow into. I'm going to say it again. Most of the time, some of the stuff we're praying for, we're wanting God to give us, and he's wanting to grow us. And he's saying this, listen, you're not ready for that. If I gave you that, it would hurt you because you're immature, but you could actually grow into it. Right? You could actually grow into it. In, in our house, we have a cash car. Uh, that's what all the kids use to learn to drive in. It's, it's run into the garage. It's hit the tree. But it's a cash car, right? That's what they're, they learn to drive in. Um, when they get finished running into everything, <laughs> we upgrade cars. Right? But there's, in my world, there's no need giving a nice car to someone that's going to run into the tree. So far, I only have one child that's not hit the tree in my driveway. I won't say which one, but they're holding that as a claim to their own fame. (laughs) And by the way, 
And everybody else has hit the tree with that same car on the same fender. <laughs> the point is, you can give them a nicer car, but if they're not ready to drive it, right? And so with God, so many times he's wanting us to grow into things we, we want to be gifted into. I've, I've got to jump to the points, obviously, because it's getting a long it's a message. Apparently, this is a long message. I don't know how that happened, but this is all introduction. Point number one, let's talk about, let's talk about how we get there. All of our guests are like, dear God, I'm worn out, preacher. That's okay. They say the average person goes to church about one time every four to five weeks. I'm just trying to make sure you get four or five sermons in your one time here. That's a barn of study. That's a real study. Now, you that are here every week, it's just bonus material for you. It's just. So let's talk about becoming. So how do we grow? So back to this, there was this, this, this guy who owns a vineyard or, or a, you know, a, a, what are you, an orchard. We'll say an orchard. He owns an orchard, fruit trees. There's a tree not producing fruit for three years, cut it down. And, and the guy that works in the orchard says, stop, let me give it another year and fertilize it and dig around it and see it produce fruit. And we said, God wants us to mature. So let's talk about, in other words, God wants us to grow. God wants us to become. So how do we do that? Well, according to this parable, there are three ingredients to becoming. Three ingredients to becoming. Let me give you, number one is grace. Number one is grace. Here's what he said. Let me fertilize it. Fertilize it. What is grace? Grace is undeserved kindness, favor, goodness. Let me say it this way. Grace is about getting what I don't deserve. So it, this is what the, the person who worked in the orchard, the, 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 the vineyard, the orchard, whoever, this is what they said. Well, this tree to produce fruit needs some things it doesn't possess. Right? So this is the goodness of God, giving us things we don't possess. Now, let me say it, say it this way. The first thing, the first thing that, that happens is this, in this growth process or becoming process, you need to understand the first thing that happens is an advocate has to step in. Cut it down is a legal response. It's judgment. And this tree is under judgment because it didn't do, it didn't produce, right? And so if trees soaked up the nutrients from the soil and didn't produce anything, they were supposed to be cut down because they were just using up the soil. So this was a legal response. It's not producing anything. It's using up the soil. Cut it down. But the first thing that happens in, in, in this idea of grace is an advocate steps in. And the advocate steps in and stops judgment. And you need to understand that, that if you don't understand judgment has been stopped, you can't grow. can't mature. And let me explain why. Because when we're talking about the law, what does the law do? So judgment, legal response, law. According to the Bible, the law tells me I've failed. Right? In fact, the law tells me I've failed, and the law tells me I'm a big failure. Because it said even if I failed at the smallest part, part of the law, I'm guilty of breaking the entire law. So the law immediately puts me in a cycle of trying harder and failing and trying harder and failing and trying harder and failing. And many people think that's the Christian life. And then they get frustrated saying, why do I keep failing? And then I just keep trying harder. And then I keep failing. And then I keep trying harder. Because here's what the Bible tells us. The law, living according to the law, actually makes things worse. The strength of sin is the law. 
The more I focus on sin, the more I focus on my mistakes, the more I live under the law, it makes things worse because here's what it is. Try harder, fail. Guilt, shame, condemnation. Try harder, fail. Guilt, shame, condemnation. Try harder, fail. Guilt, shame. This is why Jesus had to come. This is why an advocate had to step in because we have to break that cycle if we're going to become who God created us to be. If we're going to grow, we have to break that, that cycle. And so the first thing Jesus does is he removes us from judgment, right? You have to understand this. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Romans 5.9, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? So what is that legal response? Cut it down. What is that wrath, right? And some people think God is still angry. And when you think God is still angry, what do you do? Try hard, fail, guilt, condemnation, fear. Try hard, fail, but God's mad. And when I do bad, God is mad. And when I do good, God is good. And if you don't, if you, if you don't get if you don't get that grace is the relational aspect of God's character. Grace is what makes relationship possible. God's relationship with God or anyone else. Meaning you have to remove yourself from performance in order to have a consistent relationship with God. Because if you think your relationship with God is based on your performance, on Sundays, you may have a great relationship with God, and by Monday night, you may not even know you're a Christian anymore. And so how do you consistently relate with God when you keep changing the state and the basis and the closeness of, y'all's, of your relationship with him based on what you do? So you have to know the advocate step, steps in and removes judgment. He removes condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Why does he remove condemnation? Because he's got to stabilize your relationship with him where it's not based on you so that he gets to walk with you on the bad days just like on the good days. John 8, a woman caught in adultery. They bring her. They throw her at the feet of Jesus. They're ready to stone her. It's all a setup. There's a lot of sermons preached on it. It's great content because, like, where's the man? Because everything I know about adultery, you got to have two. You can't commit adultery by yourself. Somebody else has to be involved, right? And it was probably one of the religious rulers. That's why I'm just anyway. Never mind. My point is they bring this woman caught in adultery, and we know that Jesus, you know, um, Basically says he without sin cast the first time. There's so much in there. But, but when everyone goes away and he's left with this woman, this is what he says. Where are, your, where are those who condemn you? Had she broken the law, whether it's a setup or not? Yes. Right? Legal response. Cut it down. Stone it. Here's what Jesus said. Where are those who condemn you? She said, I don't know where they went. Jesus says this. Now, according to the law, only one who was without sin could condemn. She was left with the only one who could actually throw a rock. And here's what he said. Neither do I condemn you. Then he said something else. Now, go and sin no more. Now, see, we get that backwards in the church. Because we say, if you can live without sin, we won't condemn you. 
And honestly, we think... <laughs> and honestly, we think God relates... Y'all got to act right. Honestly... <laughs> Honestly, we think God deals with us the same way because we think when God says, well, whenever you act right and live without sin, I won't condemn you. But that's not what God said. This is God in the flesh. He said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more because here's what he knows. I have to remove condemnation to stabilize your relationship with me so you can walk a holy and live a holy life. That's what he knows. I have to remove condemnation. And so... And so here's what Jesus does. He, he, he steps in, advocate, stops judgment, removes condemnation. And, and then he says this, your position with me is now based not on your performance. It's really based on the performance of Jesus because grace is the relational con construct, right? It's the re relational aspect, if you will, of God's nature. In fact, let me give you this. The secret to maturity really, or the secret to connection is understanding that your position with God is not based on your performance. John 15 says, remain in me, right? And you'll bear much fruit. This is maturity. Well, how can I remain if I think every time I mess up, I'm rejected? So acceptance is, is, is not grace. It's a symptom of. It's a result of. Just like forgiveness is not, grace isn't forgiveness. Forgiveness is a result of grace. Acceptance, grace is not acceptance, Right? It's a result thereof. So because God is gracious, I've been accepted in the beloved Ephesians 1.6. Because God is grace, right, I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I'm blessed. It's all because of God's grace. And so because of grace, now I can remain in him and bear much fruit. So the secret of fruit is connection. So the secret of connection is grace. I have to understand that God is a constant, forgiveness is a constant, grace is a constant in order to stay connected. Because if I think grace is based on performance or, or connection is based on performance, then I'm connected, disconnected. How much fruit do you think a, you know, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. How much fruit do you think a branch can connect or can produce if it's connected every third day, disconnected? Like every day, well, I messed up, break it off. Oh, I'm grafted back in. Praise God. Had a good Sunday. Oh, Saturday night came. Boy, I messed up. They'll never produce fruit that way. And that's why some people don't produce fruit because the secret of fruit is connection. The secret of connection is grace. Right? And then grace also, grace gives me what I don't possess. Let me give you this real quick. It gives me what I don't possess. It gives me um, favor or blessing, but it gives me the Holy Spirit. Right? He didn't receive, we didn't receive the spirit of fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So, so the Bible, so, so grace gives me the Holy Spirit, which ultimately is the power. We, so you'll see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We've been made partakers of a divine nature, so now I have the nature of God because I have the Spirit of God, right? I have the power of God. I have the nature of God. I have the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And so here's what you have to understand is what he says is this thing needs some fertilizer. In other words, it needs some things it doesn't possess. And now we're talking about grace. And so if you're going to grow, if you're going to mature, if you're going to become, you need to understand you need some things you don't have and you need the grace of God to stop the judgment, to stop the condemnation, to keep us connected and also to give us the power of the Holy Spirit that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead would dwell in us. So grace. Here's the second thing, truth. 
Because here's, here's why we need truth. So you don't just need grace. Grace is the relational aspect of God's character. Truth is the structural component. Um, truth tells me where I am. Like in this passage, truth said, you're not bearing fruit. Truth tells me where I am, but also tells me where I need to be. Truth tells me this is wrong and this is right. Grace didn't do away with truth. The Bible says Jesus full of grace and truth. He's not part grace and part truth. He's not more grace than truth. He's not more truth than grace. He is 100% grace and 100% truth. So I need 100% of grace, but I need 100% of truth. This is a problem with our culture. We love to talk about the grace of God, but if truth offends us, then we don't want to talk about that. That's why we can't, you can't change without truth. Because truth tells me that's not right. Truth tells me you shouldn't have said that. Truth tells me you shouldn't treat them this way. Truth tells me you shouldn't. Truth also tells me you need to do this. Truth tells me you need to do that. Truth tells me where I am and where I need to be. In other words, truth tells me you're not producing fruit and you're supposed to produce fruit. Right? And if we get, listen to me very carefully, you want truth because you can't become you without it. Because truth not only tells you what you can do, mostly truth tells you who you are. You're a son of God, a daughter of God. You've been born again, right? You haven't received the spirit of fear again into bondage, but you receive the spirit, right, that, that makes you sons. Like this is all truth. And so we have to have truth because truth is reality. And if you just have grace and no truth, right, then you have freedom and no responsibility, and that's dangerous. And, and here's this. <laughs> really, grace without truth just gives you the freedom to stay stuck. Remember the rich young ruler? He comes to Jesus and he says, um, he says, uh, how do I follow after you? And Jesus says, well, just keep the commandments. And he says, since I was a little boy, I've kept the commandments. Right? And remember what Jesus said? He didn't say, well, that's good. You're living your truth. Now, here's what truth said. Oh, then go and sell all you have and give to the poor. Is it because Jesus doesn't want you to have any finances? No, that's not it at all. What Jesus knew is the confrontation he needed was that finances was in an unhealthy place in his life, and it was always going to hinder him following Jesus. In other words, what was stopping his growth was either greed or just his love for money, which I guess is greed, or even his dependence upon money right? So what does Jesus do? Here's truth. Grace is come and follow me. Truth is you got to change that. Do you see that? And this is what Jesus does in our life, by the way. Like we're doing good. Then we come to church and we hear a sermon like this. And there's any number of things you may be hearing in today's message, but there's probably going to be something, at least I hope there's going to be a truth component that hits your heart. And the Holy Spirit's going to say, that'd be a great area to, to work on. What's he doing? He's trying to give structure to your life. He's trying to be, keep you in reality and trying to help you become who you're created to be, but you don't change without truth. In, in, look at this. <clears throat> I love this passage. John 3, verse 20, it says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light 
and does not come to the light. Look at this. Everyone practicing evil, hates the light, doesn't come to the light, lest his deeds will be exposed. But he who, look at this, does truth, comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that have been done in God. What I, what I like about this is what he's talking about this, and he says, hey, those who, who don't, those who do evil, think about this, those who do evil don't come to the light. But then he said, there's something people do to come to the light. Now, what is the opposite of evil in your mind? Good, right? Battle between good and evil. But that's not what John says. He says, those who do evil move away from the light. But to move toward the light, you do truth. Sometimes, especially with believers, we'd rather do good than truth. Isn't it true? Like I've seen this, God will start dealing with people in an area and they just try to do good in a different area because they don't want to deal with where the light's shining. Have y'all ever been guilty of that? I have. Like God wants me to tithe. I'll join a serve team. <laughs> All right? Isn't that true? And sometimes it's the other way. Like God wants me to join a serve team or lead a life group. I'll just give more money. Right? Because I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that truth right there, right? Right? God, God wants me to, to work on my relationship with my child, so I'll just buy them a new video game. Not play it with them. I'll just buy them something new. Which is to say, I'm going to try to do good because I just can't do Truth. Here's what happens. Wise people adjust to the light. Foolish people adjust the light. Right? Hey, and sometimes, you know, I'll just say this and I'll move on. It's just to, you know how we adjust the light many times? When the light shines on us, we just adjust it to shine on someone else and we talk about what's being seen in their life and, and instead of what's actually. Right? Like God's like, have you, ever, have you ever confronted someone with truth? Maybe you did it lovingly, their family member. I'm not talking about a harsh confrontation. I'm talking about, man, listen, I love you, but, but have you ever thought about, you know, the way you talk to your spouse or the way you handle this situation? They're like, you know what? But do you know what they did? See, that's just a foolish person adjusting the light instead of adjusting to the light. So you need grace and you need truth. Here's the third thing. You need a little time. You need a little time. He said, give me one more year, right? One more year. In other words, if we want to become who God wants us to be, it's a process. Everybody say process. It takes a little time, right? Sometimes you need to be a little bit patient with yourself. Now, let me explain. There's a difference between good time and bad time because this tree had three years of bad time. Everybody say college. I'm sorry. No, we shouldn't say that. I'm so sorry. No. <laughs> Bless the Lord all my soul. Um, right? He had three years. What was bad time? Three years of nothing changing. Three years of doing nothing. Right? So, so there's bad time. Come on. Time doesn't make you mature. This is one thing I would love to talk to Christians about. You can sit in a church for 50 years and never grow up. Amen. This, 
hey, this plant or this tree was planted in soil for three years and never produced fruit. It was sitting there every weekend when the, when the sermon was preached. I grew up with some people and I, I mean, I remember this one older gentleman, he had a Bible that was, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like he had a Bible that was huge. They took two hands. It was a workout bringing that thing to church. You understand what I'm saying? And he would stand up because we had testimony service, which we'll never do in this church because that's a wild card I'm not willing to play. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> we had testimony church. He would stand up. He'd throw that Bible up. He was about 110 years old. He'd say, I want to thank God. Back in 1943, he saved me. And he'd sit down. And, and what I knew about this guy, because I was a pastor's kid and we know stuff, he's the meanest man in the church. He's the one who gave my dad all the problems. He could not grow up. He had grown old, but not grown up. Listen to me very carefully. When it comes to spiritual maturity, you need to know and understand growing old is not an option. Growing up is And I think some people get this confused. Because they think the number of years they've been saved speaks to their maturity. What speaks to your maturity is the amount of fruit that you bear. That's how we know how maturity, not how many gifts you have, how much fruit you have. That's the whole purpose of this. So there's bad time. You can spend three years not producing fruit, right? But then there's good time. What is good time? This is time spent applying grace and truth. He said, for three years, this produced nothing. But that's why he said, I can, get it produced, I can get it produced fruit in one year if you'll give me one year of giving it, digging, that's truth, and fertilizing, that's grace. So the application of grace and truth for one year will produce maturity. Someone, tell somebody, it's the application that makes the difference. It's the application that makes the difference. It is having a process. It's being intentional. Can I ask you this? What is your intentional plan to grow up? I love you. I'm your friend. But, but what is your intentional plan? And, and, and notice this too. This, this is good. Um, that, that this intentional plan required some intentionality and some consistency. How well do you think this tree would have produced fruit if it was uprooted every week for, I don't know, a couple weeks and then come and sit back in the soil? And then, oh, I'm going to go do my own thing and then come back and sit back in the soil. That's how a plant sits in the soil. If y'all are wondering, if you've ever wondering how that happens, if you've never seen them, it's because they do it at night, but this is what mine do. They, the shimmy, shimmy, shake. <laughs> Y'all need to act right. I'm trying to preach the Word of God up here. Because here's what the Word of God said. Those who are planted in the house of God flourish. So part of the intentional plan is why Hebrews says, don't, don't for, forsake being assembled together. So we're talking about believing, belonging, becoming. We said believing is worship experiences. Belonging is life group. Becoming, what is becoming? It's an intentional set of next steps. It's saying, you know what? I've, I've got I've to be at church. 
I've got to do, I've got to, I've got to relate to God every day. We call those spiritual disciplines, but in other words, I got to be, let me say it this way, consistent about connecting with the body, consistent about staying connected. Remember we said connection is how we produce fruit, grace how we stay connected. So I got to be consistent, right? But also be consistent for, 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 for dealing with truth in my life. Consistent. In other words, there's a plan for me to grow into who God created me. There's a consistent. Those who are planted flourish. I can't flourish if I'm planted this week and then for three weeks I'm out doing something else. Then I come back and get planted again. You don't produce fruit that way. So there has to be an intentional plan. Notice it was planted in the dirt, not dipped in it every now and then. Right? So... So there has to be, so here's my question, because this is what we talk about, and this is where we're going to land the plane today, everybody. Here's my question then. My question is, what we've established today is really the life I want to live, my best life. How I live my best life is not about what I have or what I do, but who I become. And, and in order for me to become, because God wants me to be mature, and really you want fruit in your life. You want peace and you want joy, right? You want your life to produce something. That's why you're here. You wouldn't be at church on a Sunday if this didn't matter to you. Right, So I already get that. We're already starting on winning ground because you're here, I'm here, this is why we're here. What I'm saying, though, is what sometimes we lack in our lives <clears throat> is the understanding that for, of what the goal is, maturity. But to get there, to grow there, I need grace. I also need truth. And truth does confront. And truth is uncomfortable. And truth goes against my emotions. And I, but I need truth. But I also need time, intentionality, and consistency. And my question is this. If, if growing into who God created you to be, if that's the goal, and it should be the goal for all of us, then we should actually have an intentional plan that we can be consistent with to mature. And if you don't have one, it's okay but why go another day without one? And you say, well, what does a, what does a, a plan look like? Um, it can look like any number of things, but I can just name, that's why we have next steps. Well, a plan looks like consistency in weekend services. Coming to a prayer service. Those, those are opportunities for connection. Uh, being in a life group. Serving on a serve team. Giving generously. Setting time every day to connect with God through prayer and, and reading His Word. And then be consistent. Fruit is produced through consistency. And this is what I'll have people, why I tithe for a week and nothing happened. Well, I went to church one time and nothing happened. Right? Why well, I ate ice cream one time and didn't gain a pound. But if I eat it every day, in the quantities that I enjoy such things, which is a half a gallon at a time, if you're wondering, eventually I'm going to see some growth. It's not going to matter how much I exercise if y'all let me eat sugar the way I really want to eat sugar. You see what I'm saying? Consistently. I can eat a half a gallon a day. I won't even gain a pound tomorrow. But you let me eat a half a gallon every day for the next 90 days, and your boy's going to need some new britches. What I'm saying is intentionality and consistency. Are you with me? Grace, truth, and time. Becoming. 
your best self. Amen. Why don't you stand? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come today. And, and we end all of our worship experience with a time of prayer for anyone who needs prayer. We would love to pray with you if you have a need for prayer today. We'd love to encourage you however we can. It's an honor to do that. Let's bow our heads and uh, let me pray for us. God, I just thank you today for the word of God. God, we thank you for grace. Wow. It's incredible. And God, we also thank you for truth because we want to change. And we thank you for time because there's a process involved. God, help us all to apply these three things, grace and truth and time. Good time, intentional time, consistent time. Lord, I just pray today that you would speak to all of us. Will you take a moment, just ask God what he's saying to you. Just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Just in your own, own, own moment with God, kind of shut everything out and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? And let him speak to you. And then I pray, as you're just listening, I want you to take a moment and listen. No one's looking around. We're just, our eyes are closed, but... Before we leave, if there's anyone in the room that you need a relationship with God, want to be forgiven, receive his grace, let him stop judgment, remove condemnation. You need a relationship with Jesus. I just want to pray for you before we go. Whether you're in this room or online, it doesn't matter. I still pray for you. And so no one's looking around, not trying to embarrass you, but just, man, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, if you need a relationship with God, you need to be connected to God. I just want you to lift your hand up. That's between you and God. It's not for me. It's for, for God, for you to say, God, here I am, and this is what I want. I want to be connected to you. And so no one's looking around. You need to be connected to God. You need to be forgiven. You need a relationship with God. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand up. One, two, three, just lift it up. Say, God, that's me. Or here I am. Fantastic. If you're watching online and you need prayer, you can text my pathway prayer to 94,000. I'm going to pray for us today and, and, and then we're going to go out and get your kids. But I want you to leave here. And if nothing else, I want you to leave here thinking, what is my intentional, consistent plan of how I'm going to spend time to produce fruit? Time's going to happen either way, but I want it to be good time. And maybe there's a next step involved or something you need to do. I want you to take those steps, do what you need to do, because I want to see that fruit in your life. God, thank you so much for your grace, your goodness, your truth. God, I pray you'd speak to all of us about what our next steps are, what we need to do to continue growing and produce fruit. God, thank you that you work in us and through us to do that. We stay connected. We stay in process. God, you'll get the glory out of our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, right? God bless you, yeah. God bless you. I love you. If you'll hurry and get your kids, because the preacher went a little bit long, but I'm going to talk to him about it. Hurry and get your kids. If you need prayer, this is time to come. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you. We love you.